I know a man who can. In your copy of the Word of God, Matthew chapter 16 is where we uh, look this morning. Matthew chapter 16. Speaking about a man who can. Matthew 16, we begin at verse 1. Uh, as we continue our exposition through uh, the um, Gospel of Matthew. The Pharisees and Sadducees came up and testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he replied to them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. And the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They began to discuss this among themselves, saying, He said that because we did not bring any bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the five thousand? And how many baskets full you picked up? Are the seven loaves of the 4,000? And how many large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He uses the subject this morning, two simple words, faith matters. Faith matters. The word academic uh, has been variously defined. Among the definitions are these two. The first one, abstract with very little practical significance. The second is of interest as an intellectual curiosity, but not particularly useful in real-world applications. You might remember that some of the stuff you learned in school. You've not ever had to use it since you got out. Biblical faith, however, is not an academic matter. Having faith in Christ or a lack of faith in Christ has not only real-world applications, it also has eternal ramifications. Real-world application in that you need to have faith as you go through your trials, and as you endure tribulations. You need to be able to trust the Lord. Eternal ramifications, here they are. It's either heaven or hell. So we can see how important faith is because it affects both dimensions, the temporal dimension and also the eternal one. We will see these realities unfold in the passage that is before us this morning. 
we begin with the absence of faith. We'll call that portion of teaching that we'll engage in in a moment in the first four verses of Matthew 16, no faith. No faith. The two major religious sects in Judaism of Jesus' day were the Pharisees and Sadducees. They were the poster boys, if you will, for those void of faith in Christ. They rejected him as Messiah, and they were militant about it. They opposed him, particularly the Pharisees, attempting to discredit him in the eyes of their fellow Jews. In fact, the Pharisees, as we learned a few Sundays back, had begun a plot to murder him. The Pharisees were supernaturalists. That is, they believed in the resurrection of the dead. They believed in angels. They believed in life after death. Conversely, the Sadducees were anti-supernaturalists. They believed that once dead, that was the end of the road, so to speak. No life after death. The Sadducees, they were engaged in religion, but it was only a temporal matter for them. They used religion for what they could get out of it. It was only a means to an end in this life and this life alone. These two groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they normally didn't get along. In fact, they were in opposition to one another. But when it came to Jesus, they collaborated to stand against him. And that's what we're seeing here in verse 1 of our text. They came up and testing him, asking for a sign from heaven. Now, you need to understand that the request was not sincere. You probably figured that out already since it's coming from these individuals. They were seeking a definitive sign, a miracle that would convince them to believe. So that would be what they would think Jesus would believe. But the reality is that it already, in determined unbelief and willful blindness, rejected him as Messiah. Their request, therefore, was a sinister one. It was insincere. They weren't for real. If he tried to produce the sign and failed, that would serve their purpose. He would be an imposter. The other aspect of the dilemma is this. If he refused, it was an admission that he is not Messiah in their thinking. Why would that be? A popular Jewish superstition held that demons could perform earthly miracles, but that only God could perform heavenly ones. So that popular superstition was percolating in their unbelieving minds and their blinded eyes spiritually. Jesus had performed countless miracles. The Pharisees knew that. The Sadducees knew that. Everybody in Israel knew that. The Pharisees, they attributed his miracles to Satan's power in Matthew chapter 12. What they didn't understand also is this. 
though they had multitude of um, miracles to validate who Jesus is, there was one sign that they utterly ignored. Jesus himself was a sign. Himself was a sign from heaven. According to Luke chapter 2, verse 34, Simeon, remember Simeon when Joseph and Mary came into the temple there in Jerusalem and Simeon took the baby Jesus in his hands and he held him there and he said to Mary, his mother, these words, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. He was declaring to Mary who Jesus is and what would happen. Many would rise to salvation. Many would fall in condemnation. But he would be a sign to all those who oppose. And he was a sign from heaven even to those Pharisees and Sadducees. Now Nicodemus, John chapter 3, verse 2. He said to Jesus, Nicodemus is a Pharisee, but he could see enough to know that something's different about Jesus, something distinct about him. He's not like anybody else. He says to Jesus, no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Indeed. They wanted Jesus to do some celestial sign, something miraculous in the heavens. That was the request, verse 1. Jesus, verse 2, replies, he uses their rudimentary knowledge of meteorology to explain their disingenuousness and their dishonesty. You'll notice what he says. Let me read it again. When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. In the morning, there will be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening. So they could read the sky and they could see what the weather was going to be. They accepted the reliability of folk meteorology without question. Here's the point. These religious leaders' knowledge of the weather was far superior to their knowledge of God. Notice what Jesus says in the bottom of the verse there in verse 2. He says, but cannot discern the signs of the time. They could see the sky and what it portended for the weather, but they could look around and they could see Jesus' miracles. They could see all of that and they could hear about all of that, but they couldn't understand the signs of the times. There was a hypocrisy. They couldn't see the significance of Jesus' ministry, though it was clearly there in their face, as it were. All that he did pointed to the fact that he indeed is Messiah. Anybody who had eyes to see, who really wanted to see, who really wanted to believe, could see, yes, it can't be anybody but Messiah. There wasn't a lack of evidence. There's plenty of evidence for the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, their inability to discern the signs of the times was because of their spiritual condition. They were hard-hearted men. There were men who were set on unbelief. Men who were determined, I am not going to believe because I don't want him. Jesus is clear in what he calls them. And the language is um, unsparing. Uh, Look what he says. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. 
they wanted the miraculous. They wanted, in their unbelief, a sign. A desire for a sign or proof is often evidence of an excuse for not believing. In fact, Paul writes that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, that the Jews want a sign. If they don't get a sign, they won't believe the gospel. Show me a sign. But these Pharisees and Sadducees were spiritual adulterers. They were physical adulterers and they were spiritual adulterers. They had wandered far from God's word, yet they were religious people and they paraded themselves, the Pharisees in particular, as religious people, as righteous people, but they were far from God. Jesus told them that. They worshipped him with their lips only. Their hearts were far from him. By their traditions, they invalidated the word of God. We saw that in, when we were in Matthew chapter 15. That clearly delineates them as phonies. They elevated man's thinking, man's ideas above the word of God in order to validate, invalidate the word of God, demonstrating clearly that they were not men of God. They're self-righteous. And they were hypocritical. The hardness of their heart. They had traditions as well that marked them as evil, evil men. It's who they were. People like that. Now notice, Jesus would not acquiesce to their demand for a sign born of unbelief. See in verse 4. There'll be no sign given except the sign of Jonah. That's all you're going to get. They wouldn't believe, though they had the evidence. They remind me of um, jurors in a court of law who presented all the evidence of the guilt of the murderer. Eyewitness evidence, DNA evidence, you name it, is there. The prosecution has made the case. The jury goes into the jury box, or jury room rather, and they come back after their deliberations. Am I getting this right, Doc? Am I getting this right? Okay, I had to check with the lawyer to make sure I'm doing this right. Then they come back. all the evidence that needed to, to uh, convict the man and they give a not guilty verdict. You may uh, know of uh, the French philosopher and atheist Voltaire. He said, quote, even if a miracle should be wrought in the open marketplace before a thousand sober witnesses, I would rather mistrust my senses than admit a miracle, end of quote. Voltaire was committed to unbelief. Despite all the evidence that could be presented to him, he said, no, I will not accept it. 
Sadly, Voltaire continued in his unbelief, and when he sensed he was about to die, it, the reality was he called his friends and said, be gone. Then he was concerned, and he tried to write something. In fact, he did write a recantation of all his sayings and disbelief about Christianity. He would beg God on one hand to forgive him, and on the other hand, he would rail against God, and guess what? He never found repentance. He died in his sins. determined in his unbelief. Think, if memory serves me correctly, it was his own house, Voltaire's house, that um, they used to reproduce Bibles. A hundred years prior to that, Voltaire in that house said, in a hundred years, Christianity would be extinct. A hundred years later, he's extinct. <laughs> but they were producing Bibles out of his house. Willful unbelief. All the evidence needed to believe that Jesus was the Messiah was there. And he said, I'll give you no sign except the sign of Jonah. Saying, I'm going to be raised from the dead. As Jonah was delivered from that great fish, I will be raised from the dead. That's the sign of Jonah. That's the only sign you're getting. In fact, that sign would even result in their own damnation, their damnation, because you recall that even though that sign came as the supreme proof of Jesus' uh, messiahship, they denied it. In Matthew 28, 11 through 15, uh, they said, no, they knew it, but they covered it up and they lied about it. No sign will convince those who are hardened in unbelief against Jesus Christ. Unbelief will always reject the truth. So now you wonder, why, why do people don't believe? It's not that they need proof. They need is God to intervene. Otherwise, they will not believe. You notice what Jesus does in the bottom of the verse, verse 4. And he left them and went away. You know what this is? This is an abandonment. He says, I'm done. I'm not giving you a sign except my resurrection. And he walked away. He left them to themselves. He will not acquiesce to their unbelieving demands on him. By the way, God is not obligated to do a miracle to convince anybody about the truth of his word. He has given what you need to know in the word of God. If you reject what he has said, sorry. And that is the reality here. He abandoned them to their hardened unbelief. They had no faith. The next heading is little faith. If, you, you're a, if you're a true Christian, what I've just been talking about doesn't apply to you personally. But now what we're going to talk about, if you're a Christian, can apply to you. Little faith. And Jesus came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. Here we're going to launch into um, 
the contrast between disciples and the Pharisees and Sadducees. Do understand here that Jesus' disciples, they belonged to him. They understood he was Messiah. Their problem wasn't with who Jesus is and his saving ministry in their life. They already had that. They had saving faith. Their problem is they uh, had a little faith. Practical faith in him. Yes, they believed uh, they saved their souls but struggled with trusting the Lord's provision. Isn't that interesting how believers can be that way? We can trust him to get us to heaven, but we'll have a real hard time trusting him with everyday practical problems we face. They cross the sea, and look what it says here. And they're thinking, oh, we forgot to bring bread. And this sets up the expose of their little faith. Jesus wasn't thinking like them. He just had this encounter with these men who were in opposition to him who utterly disbelieved, and then he wants to protect his men, and that's why he says what he does. In verse 6, watch out and beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Two words, watch and beware. It's a double caution. In fact, he is ordering them. He says, guys, pay attention, watch out, heed the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. It's a double warning. And we know what leaven is. Let me explain it again for those who perhaps have forgotten or don't recall exactly in this context. Leaven, or yeast, causes bread to rise. Hence, it is a symbol of influence in Scripture. In this instance, it is used to illustrate evil influence. And Jesus is saying, beware of the evil influence of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And notice, they were discussing, verse 7, this among themselves. He said that because we did not bring any bread. <laughs> That word discuss, they were disputing in their minds. And they were disputing with one another. They were reasoning in their minds. Can't you see uh, the reality here? The disciples misunderstood Jesus' words because they were not thinking spiritually. They ignored his metaphorical use of living. And Jesus had to tell them, being aware of this, you men of little faith. They're the little faith crew. Now, let me reiterate. These men had faith. They had genuine faith. They, they were believers, all except Judas. We know they had genuine faith because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, verse 11, Jesus answered him, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. He had been, it had been granted to them to know the mysteries, the revelation about the side that had not been given that privilege. They were saved men. But they were men who had little faith. In fact, Jesus used that designation on a number of cases. 
implications for them in Matthew 6.30, Matthew 8.26, Matthew 14.31, Matthew 17.20. They had a low level of faith. But even people with genuine faith can have a low level of perception and understanding, right? Jesus rebuked them for it. In the parallel passage in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 17, we see our Lord here saying that to them. He's using the same language that he used about those who are outside the faith. He used it about his men who are in the faith. Mark chapter 8, verse 17 and 18 says this. Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Jesus has them in the classroom. And he's schooling them about their problem of little faithness. Their low level of faith. So he says, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? It's a ridiculous thing for them to do. They had information, but they had limited faith. Where's the information? Jesus reminds them. Notice verse 8 or 9. Do you not understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000, how many baskets full you picked up? Guys, don't you remember that? I miraculously produced all that food, and you participated because you helped distribute it to the 5,000 men plus women and children. That should have been your first thought when you realized you didn't bring any bread. Oh, it doesn't matter. We got Jesus here in the boat with us. He's the food producer. Jesus is not done. He, he wants to tell them further. He says, verse 10, are the seven loaves of the 4,000, how many large baskets full you picked up? Don't you remember that? Hmm. Uh they didn't at this point their low level of faith their immaturity their lack of perception was clearly on display in their discussion about not having brought some loaves some little bread they were hungry we got to eat and we don't have any and Jesus said what are you talking about verse 11 how is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? That's what he was talking to them about. Do you not understand? Did you not see beneath the surface of the words that I used? Did you not perceive? Let me tell you some things that happen when you have little faith. Little faith forgets what the Lord has done in the past. Let me suggest something to you. Rehearse what God has done for you. When you've had a predicament and he has delivered it, remember it and rehearse it. Little faith is ancient about the present. You have a problem and anxiety comes. People talk about panic attacks or anxiety attacks. I say, why? Do you not know who the Lord is? What are you being anxious about? 
Don't be anxious about anything, Philippians 4, 6 says, right? That's a categorical prohibition against anxiety or worry. No Christian has any business at any time worrying or being anxious about anything because of who our God is. Little faith will do that. Little faith is slow in grasping spiritual truth. Because little faith forgets to set its mind on things above. And therefore, does not rehearse that and think about it and recall and, and remember using the same words, what God has done. After Jesus' mild rebuke, then they understood. He was talking about the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees there at the bottom of the verse, verse 12. Jesus warned them. Remember we saw this earlier in the text, verse 6. Warned them, watch out and beware. Why would he do that? Uh, because they and Christians need to be aware. We are not immune to the influence of the thinking of and behavior of false teachers false Christians you have to watch out and beware because they can sucker you they're teaching their doctrinal error their personal hypocrisy you, you can't just listen to anybody you better beware Everybody talking about they represent God does not. They no more represent him than maybe this something I can't think of a thing that, that doesn't. In fact, I was last evening, I was watching something on um, internet on YouTube. Y'all know what that is? <laughs> and uh, some recorded lies of false teachers. Just incredibly foolish Kenneth Copeland and Apollo White. The whole litany of those people who do not know the Lord. There's no true spokesman for Christ would ever espouse the nonsense that those people espouse. In this particular YouTube channel, the man who sponsored it is his channel, he would intersperse it with teaching from sound teachers. Say, this is what the Bible says as against what these false teachers say. You have to watch out and beware of false teachers. There's a reason why the New Testament repeatedly addresses it, because there's a, a repeated danger in the life of the church. You have to beware. Beware. If you want to know who to listen to or not, talk to me. I can tell you some of those that you don't need to listen to. I got to tell you one. <laughs> this woman, I guess she calls herself a prophetess. She was um, saying, the Lord had showed me that this lady, talking to a woman, that your mother, if we all pray, she's going to be okay. The Lord has shown it to me. 
She's looking at her phone. I don't know if it's in the phone or where. And then the woman said, well, my mother died in 2009. And she said, I guess I'm seeing the past. But you said uh, he's going to do it. But the lady has been dead. <laughs> and people in that church just really eating that nonsense up. I said, are you people nuts or what? Let me give you another. Beware of people who like to say, the Lord told me. The Lord showed me. The Lord tells me stuff all the time. Oh, yeah, he does. <laughs> I can read it. Jesus has been talking to us this morning. It's right here. This is reliable. So that's why Jesus warns us to watch out. The Pharisees and Sadducees in biblical days, they were the imminent threat to the disciples and to the church in our day they're not called Pharisees or Sadducees but their threat is just as real you have to be careful you want to uh, in your practical living you want to raise your level of faith how do you do that may I give you a few suggestions number one read and study God's word you must do that. You must become increasingly familiar with the Word of God. You must internalize His character and His ways with people. Learn His ways, His character. How He interacts with human beings. Get to know Him better. The more you know Him and know His ways, His mind, how He functions as revealed in Scripture will elevate your faith. When I say study, you have to. You, you can't just have a devotional study of the Word of God. You really need to dig into the Word of God. Another one, remember his promises to his children. He makes promises to us in the New Testament, in particular the church, the New Covenant people of God. Remember those promises. He'll provide for us. Matthew chapter 6. knows how to meet our needs remember those promises he said I'll never leave you nor forsake you a third thing reflect on his power remember <laughs> he has absolute power over everything You need to reflect on that. And that means in your own personal life and circumstance. You know, when you're strong in faith or you're growing strong in faith, you know what happens? You give God glory. You give Him glory. Deepen your trust in Him. No matter what happens whether he delivers or, or decides to carry you through it, trust him. 
so faith matters. Everyday living and for eternity. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that we can look at it and find what we need from it. Nourishment for our souls, enlightenment for our minds, direction for our steps. It is a light unto our path. We bless you for your living, eternal word. Strengthen us in our walk with you. May our faith grow more and more. May we see you in your great glory and power. You're the Lord. We thereby will trust you no matter what. We thank you for the example of the disciples because they reflect ourselves. We thank you that we can take the rebuke from our Lord to them, to ourselves, determined by your grace to go farther in faith. We ask that you do life for every individual who knows you in this facility and everyone who listens online who know Christ. And for those who don't, we pray that you grant them saving faith. They will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to the saving of their souls. We ask you to do it for your own glory. In the name of Christ, amen.